Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good whatever it may be for you right now. This is Lose the Taboo on Mental Health with Jared Cash. Buckle up, get ready, we going for a ride. Hey, welcome to Lose the Taboo on Mental Health. I am so excited that we get to record this episode here today. I've got two of my good friends with me, Cameron Gibbs and Jack Kemp. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So really our goal with this episode today is to talk about students, uh, specifically middle school and high school students, and, and how mental health is with, with teenagers and middle school students during this time. And so brought in two guys that really know a lot about student ministry. Both have been student pastors before um, and really have a lot of experience with just kind of seeing some of the minds of, of perspectives from students. So really excited about our conversation here today. But first, I just got to ask, I'll start with you, Cameron. What are, both these guys have a crazy amount of hobbies. Uh, I'm very jealous of their hobbies. But I want to ask Cameron, start with, uh, what are some of your hobbies? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest one, especially being uh, here in Washington State now, is I love snowboarding. Uh, I haven't always lived places where I get to enjoy that, but I love snowboarding. Uh, I love music. Uh, I definitely would consider myself like a huge gamer, uh, which I think is just a lot of fun whenever you just get to hang out with other people and just enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are probably the big ones. Um, anything outdoors, getting out, hiking, fishing, any of that kind of stuff. You live in a terrible place for it in Washington State. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, with as many lakes and everything here, it's just terrible. <laughs> what about you, Jack? Yeah, I would say I'm similar to Cameron in a lot of ways. Uh, we're both pretty outdoorsy guys. I love going backpacking and rock climbing and really hiking in general. Um, I don't love snowboarding. I'm not, not a big snow guy, um, but I do like love like biking. I play a lot of disc golf. Um, pretty into fantasy literature right now that's probably like my newest um hobby is i read a lot of fantasy so that's been a, a fun thing during the rainy months here in washington to keep me busy but yeah that's awesome i feel like anybody that says that like they don't enjoy snowboarding has never really like given it a fair shot though i will say the only time i've ever gone snowboarding i was in middle school and middle school jack was definitely not the most coordinated <laughs> human being around so it didn't go well so maybe that scarred me so maybe maybe i will go to chance yeah, with you so this, got, this gotta give it a round two yeah now both you guys are writers i know cameron writes a lot of music uh I get lyrics to music and I guess the music itself. Uh, and then Jack, you write books. Do you guys want to speak on that at all? Yeah, I would say books is a strong word. <laughs> I, I like that you put an S on the end of it as if I have a plethora of books I've written. Um, I like writing stories and I, I'm, I'm writing a fantasy, like essentially a bedtime story for my like future kids. I wouldn't say it's going to be a book cause I'm not a great writer writer, but I really like building out stories and world mm. building. And so I've been working on that for like the last couple of years and trying to figure that out. But, but yeah, I wouldn't say I have books written. <laughs> Jack, do you have like a favorite character from what you've been writing from my books? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's this one character. Um, so they're like based off a lot of my friends. And have you you guys have seen Lion King, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Um so it's like kind of Rafiki no, meets Yoda is this character. Um he doesn't have a name yet because I haven't like figured out like what encapsulates him, but he's just this crazy guy that like lives in the woods and is like a wise sage. Um and he like helps the characters kind of figure things out. Um but he's probably my favorite character just because he's really weird. <laughs> that's awesome. I can't wait till that's a bestseller. I know you're saying just for bedtime story, but I can't wait till it's a bestseller. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's awesome. And Cameron, how many songs do you think you've written? Oh, gosh. Um, if we're talking about like rough drafts, I mean, a, a ton, more than I could probably count. Uh, one is that I'm proud of and I would actually like want to put out uh, probably, you know, 10 or 15. And right now, of ones that are polished, maybe like three that I would say are at a point where they're ready to go and record. So I think it's you start off and you just write, write as much as you possibly can. And then like 90% of what you're going to put out, if, if you're like me with being a musician, you just go back and listen. You're like, I absolutely hate this. It was <laughs> terrible. Um, Kate tells me a lot of time, and for everyone who's listening who doesn't know, Kate is my wife. She, she likes to encourage me and, and tell me that a lot of what I'm writing is great and that I'm just being too self-critical of it. Uh, but I, I think a lot of times I'll, I'll just write as much as I possibly can and then really just kind of start to narrow down uh, 
what I really think is going to be like good or I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron led a, he wrote a song and led it for an event we had at church. So Cameron and I worked together. He's our associate campus pastor. Um, so he does worship and students here, here at our church. And so he wrote a song for that and it was beautiful. So I can't wait for them to record it. Anyways, that's just a little bit about Jack and Cameron. Um, that's the end of our episode. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to be able to talk about student ministry and students. Uh, so first question as we jump into it, guys, is uh, what kind of state are middle school and high schoolers' mental health in? I know it's a very broad and big question, but but what would you say mental health-wise when it comes to students, middle school and high school? I, I would say in the current climate right now, um, a fragile one, I think would probably be the best way to describe it. Uh, but I would say looking better. Um, and what I mean by that is I think it's fragile in the sense of just coming out of a pandemic. Um, I think they're experiencing a lot, experiencing a lot of isolation. Um, I think they're discovering new rhythms with themselves. And I think being isolated and going through puberty is probably I can't imagine what that does to your brain mm. and trying to understand who you are and not having other people to kind of understand who you are with, I think would be incredibly confusing. Um, now I, what I mean by kind of coming through and being better on the end is that I think, I think mental illness is becoming a more talked about thing in our culture. And yeah. so I think now we're starting to put names to these things that these kids are experiencing. So I think now we're starting to become more adept at how do we handle this? How do we talk about this? How do we like navigate depression and stuff like that? How do yeah. we understand these things? So I think right now it's, it is very fragile, but I would say with the way our scope is going, I think we're getting better at handling that. Yeah, that, yeah. that's so that's something Jack and I, we were actually talking about a little bit earlier. It's interesting to look at generationally, like how um, uh, mental illness has just been, uh, and mental health has just been communicated differently uh, mm-hmm. by different people um, in, in different ways. Uh, and I, I told Jack earlier, I, I think looking at the groups that we have that are maybe like finishing up college or in college right now is kind of that tail end of that group that was kind of in between uh, the current generation and millennials that kind of lean more toward what I grew up with and what I experienced, which would have been if you were dealing with anything that wasn't considered the normal thing, then you wouldn't share about it and you would just yeah. isolate yourself uh, away from it. And I, I think now, especially with the, the students that I see in middle school and high school, I, I've heard them be a lot more comfortable with just talking about what's going on in their life. They may not be as gifted at communicating that because mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, we're almost in some ways losing uh, spe- the specific art of like how we communicate with each other. But I, I think they're more willing to do that. Yeah. And I think kind of going off that, I think it's an interesting like place to navigate because as you said, like millennials probably didn't deal with this concept of emotion, like super like at the forefront as, as we are now. And so you're realizing parents and kids are both unpacking this like emotional understanding together. And so like as a parent, you're like, oh, I never had to unpack all of this. So now I have to not only unpack it for myself, I'm also unpacking it as a parent. So it's just this huge unfolding process of like, how do I sit, how do I, express it for myself and how do I help my child also walk through it, which I think is a huge chore. Yeah. It's a very overwhelming task to even begin to think about that. And I do agree. I think we are taking positive steps forward. Um, still a lot, a lot of room to grow. Um, but you mentioned Jack, you mentioned that isolation, especially during COVID was really bad for, uh, mental health for students. What other factors are going into playing into uh, mental illness or bad mental health for middle school and high schoolers? Yeah, I would say, and even pre COVID, I would say isolation was a more common thing, um, in this generation, which ironically is because it's ironic in my head because we are the most connected generation that's ever existed. Like we have the ability to talk to interact with so many people on so many different platforms, whether it's playing video games, whether it's FaceTiming a friend, whether it's email, whatever you have, you are able to communicate with them, but it's almost replaced this idea of physical communication and Mm. physical interaction that I think is so crucial to how we develop, especially like pre 25, your prefrontal cortex is still forming. And so to not be able to interact with other people, I think really limits like how you understand yourself and how you understand others. And so I think putting that first is like, we're already starting to like pull back from like personal communication and interaction to then going into COVID to being physically like not able to go interact with people. I think you're starting to like 
only see yourself and only hear your own thoughts. And I think it's really hard to like hear the truth of like who you are in that. Cause I think we, we often see the worst of ourselves in our own self-talk. Mm. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Cameron. I was going to say, I think, um, you know, social media too, you know, it, it's played a huge impact on uh, what communication looks like for a generation. Uh, I think dynamically it, it's changed where it's true. You can connect with a lot more people, but it's really surface level. It's kind of like that argument where I think before, prior to social media, when the only interaction you were having with people were was face-to-face communication or maybe like picking up the phone and calling somebody, uh, that communication-wise, it may have been, you know, uh, say a well that's a foot wide, but it's 100 feet deep yeah. uh, as far as like what kind of type of content you're talking with somebody. Now with social media, if you have a 1,000 followers, right, it's a pool that's a mile wide that's an inch deep, mm-hmm. right? You can connect with more people than ever but most often it's, you know, surface level. Yeah. And even going off that, you're really only seeing these snapshots of people's lives and you're not able to see them in person. So all you see is the social media. So you're like, you're having a rough time and you're like, these people are posting these incredible pictures of fun adventures. But like the truth of the matter is we're all having a really hard time. Yeah. And you just only see the snapshot. You only see this like inch deep well that you're kind of talking yeah. about. Yeah. I think to COVID really like in, in that aspect of things did two things. Uh, one, I think it just made it so much more prominent this idea that you can be in a room full of people and still feel completely alone. Mm. Like if you're not connecting with people, I, I think whenever COVID happened and we started having to like lock down and, and, and self isolate or you're with, within your own family unit. Um, if you were like me for a lot of, uh, or like a lot of other people, I started realizing some of my relationships, they're not really changing that much. Like dynamically, a lot of how I communicated with people didn't really change, which just showed me that I wasn't connecting with a whole lot of people more than just, the surface deep level. And I think kind of what Jack said, also for some people, it maybe forced them to have a moment where they looked inward because all you have is time with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we've identified um, isolation, especially during COVID, the lack of proper healthy communication. Uh, social media has just magnified this and it's just taken it to the extreme. What kind of stress are our students under? I, I think, and I, I used to be a youth pastor in Washington, D.C., which was an incredibly competitive area. So maybe my scope's a little off on this, but from what I saw was kids are just expected to do so much more academically and extracurricularly um, than I've ever seen. Um, and maybe I just grew up in an area where I wasn't expected to do a ton. Um, I like played one sport and we were like pretty excited about that. Um, but now kids, it's like, if you're not playing three sports, if you're not in a tons of clubs, if you're not like writing papers for things and sending them in to get published, if you're not doing all of these things, if you're not getting straight A's by the time you're a sixth grader, like you're setting yourself up to fail. And I, I didn't feel that pressure growing up, but I've seen so many students like dealing with the weight of the world of like, oh, if I don't set myself up well as a sixth grader, if I don't know my 10 year plan as a sixth grader, who am I? And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's, that's like heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Uh, I think we've let that become the new normal, and I you know we hear that term a lot now, mm-hmm. the new normal. Uh, yeah. But I think it's been that way in a lot of different aspects of our life, not just with COVID, but with social aspects, uh, with expectations that we have of young people. They're just changing from what historically mm-hmm. uh, I think they've uh, been before. Uh, you know, I think Jack and I, you know, we grew up with the generation that you're constantly told, like, you need to go to college, and if you don't go to college, then you're not going to be successful in this. And now you're starting to hear more of those conversations mm-hmm. of, you know, a little just different. That's not necessarily what's always being pushed. Um, but yeah, I just, I think a lot of the dynamics of what it looks like to be a student um, are just changing. I think as a young person right now, especially that sixth through 12th grade, uh, we get in this idea that busy is the new lazy. And, and what I mean by that is we get so busy with all these different things, all these other activities that we get lazy about the things in our life that are really going to be important to us. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can say, I'm busy, I don't have time for this. And you're overloading yourself with sports and academics and, and whatever else. But maybe you're being lazy when it comes to things like your own personal mental health or investing in your friends or investing in your family. Those things that really matter to us on a day-to-day basis. So. Do you see a lot of uh, pressure coming from all different types of places or is it mainly is a lot of it just the pressure to try to keep up with other people or where, where do you see a lot of that pressure coming from? I, I think uh, I'll give a portion of pressure to be 
maybe always doing something, always active, maybe just comes from, I, I think education wise, it just seems to be a lot more competitive now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if, like Jack was saying earlier, if you don't have your plan uh, in place by the time you get to a certain point in school, sometimes if you don't feel like you know where you're going or what you're doing, if everyone around you has their, their plan or everything planned out, then you start to stretch and feel anxious that you don't have that figured out. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, and, and not to say this is all on parents or anything or all on one entity at all, um, I think looking at kind of how culture shifted, we're now into like a culture where there's two parents are working in the household. I think that's much more common now. Um, and so I think, one, you look at that, like both parents are working, both parents are probably pushing you to go to college. And I, I think undergrads are becoming more common. So now it's like, oh, undergrads really don't mean what they used to. Now it's like, I need a master. And then it's like, all right, well, when you get your master's, like, where are you focusing in on? And I think it's just this kind of this unfinishable, like, hole we're kind of walking through of like, oh, I, I want to, I want to meet the end of this. And it's like, oh, the second you get close to the end, it's like, oh, well, you need to do this. It's like, I, I feel like this is my own job. It's like, oh, I was going to college and I was like, I just wanted to get a job. And then I got a job and then everybody's like, oh, how are you thinking about retirement? Like, where are you thinking about moving up in your job? Where are you? And I think, I think we all feel it, but I think the generation below us feels it to like an extent we've just never seen before. I was talking with some friends the other day, and I thought it was just kind of cool. It's like, don't you envy the days, although we would never have experienced this or lived this, but you just like historically think back however many hundreds of years ago um, where like you were like a young kid, like maybe like 12, 13 years old. You just start like your apprenticeship and whatever you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And by the time you're an adult, like you're just done. And that's what you're doing for the rest of your life. Yeah, you're like, just a master at your craft. It, it would be so <laughs> different a concept. <laughs> But man, what do you think of a relief that would be on like the anxiety and stuff that people feel with this, this mm. pressure to make decisions so soon? Yeah. Huh. That is a lot. You know, I just think about when I was a teenager and just the, like you said, how fragile of a uh, age to be anyways. And then to have all of that weight on, weight on you. I mean, that's just so overwhelming. And that's why we have seen such an increase in mental health and struggles um, what kind of toll do you think it's taking on on our students right now based off of the current situation? I think, at least from personal experience and what I've seen in, in students that I've been interacting with, uh, I think as a whole, um, maybe more so than depression, but I think anxiety is what I've seen just at an all-time high. Um, students just seem to be more anxious about everything going on in their life with trying to juggle uh, friendships, uh, with school, what goes on at home. Um, there's all this, uh, too, whenever you, anytime you flip on the news, there's going to be something different that's going on that students are going to be like worrying about or asking questions about. And there's just a lot of stuff just in the world in general, I think, to be anxious. And then on top of that, you pile with what it's like to be a teenager. And if you guys remember, you know, being in high school or middle school, there's always that little bit of drama that comes with being a teenager. Like who's friends with who, who's talking to who, who went to what party, who went on what date. And yeah. all that. And now you put it in an environment in social media where everything is public. Yeah. And so now you're living in a, in a dramatic teenage world mm-hmm. where you're in a glass house. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just think how much greater anxiety would be. If I look back in middle school, if every single, every single thing I was doing was posted on like Snapchat yeah. or something. And I think just the comparison of all of that, of like being that young and seeing everybody's lives in this little snapshot and being like, they're doing this, they're getting into this school, they're dating this person, they're friends with these people, they're really good at this sport. And you're just sitting there just trying to figure out who you are. And you it looks like everybody else has their place. Everybody's kind of figured it out. And it's like, I think it would be hard to regulate that in your brain of like, I'm normal, I'm okay. It's okay to be unsure of who I am right now because I'm 15 years old and I should not have my whole life together at this point. But you see everybody else and you're like, but they have everything. They have a nice bow on their life. Like it looks great. Um, and so I do, I, I agree with Cameron. I think it's just so anxiety driven of like, why am I not at this level that everyone else is at? I think too, um, going on this idea of when you look at like self-comparison mm. that we kind of hinted on a little bit, this whole uh, idea of the social media influencer has just so mm. like radically changed what we look at with personal comparison. Like when I was a freshman in high school, I wouldn't have known what a social media influencer was if you would have yeah. asked me. Yeah. <laughs> but now when you go on and you've got people who are, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors in high school, or maybe you're just starting off in college or some people that are even like younger in middle school where, and you see them on social media and it's like this person 
like has done this and they've been really successful and they're like 16, 17, 18 years old and they've got millions of followers and they've got everything figured out and everything looks great and they're having so much fun. How come my life isn't like that? And we start to compare ourselves against unrealistic expectations. And I would say even going off that, one thing I've experienced, I was so excited to move out to Washington State because of all the hiking and mountains and stuff. And I had followed a lot of like Instagrammers who like take all of these amazing pictures at these places. And so I would go find the location they took the picture at and I would take the picture and it was not the same. <laughs> like it just didn't look as good. And I was so mad. I was like frustrated because I was like, I did everything you did. Why is my picture not turning out as good? And one of my friends who's really good at editing is like, let me see that for like a little bit and tweaked it for a second and it looked exactly like theirs. And I think that's honestly what life is through this like lens of social media. It's like yeah. you're like putting in this unconceivable standard. And like I, I literally went and did exactly what everyone else did and I was like, I'm still not getting it. I was like, that's incredibly frustrating. And to compare that to someone else's life where you can't like just logistically go do the exact same thing and then get the same result and not see that there's clearly a like a difference in the way we edit, the way we screenshot, the way we form our lives through this lens, I, I, it would just mess with my head so much. Yeah. Mm. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy that you say it when we live in the Photoshop age. It's like when we go through and look at other like people that are popular on social media, it's like mm. we're window shopping for the life that mm. we want or the life that we wish we had. Mm. But like I said, the reality of it is it, it is just window shopping. Yeah. It doesn't ever get to the actual depth of what's life really like. This is just the good stuff. Yeah. And the thing I think that's the hardest is we're p- replacing this with like real world interaction, especially right now coming out of COVID, yeah. kind of like trying to get back into the rhythm of things. It's like we've developed friendships. Like the amount of students I've interacted with who are like, oh, this is my favorite YouTuber. This is who I follow. And you can hear the the sense in their voice that it's like they know that person. They feel like they are friends with that person. And not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying like they feel like they've developed some connection with this type of human being who they've never actually talked to or interacted with. And I think once you take that away, you don't, you don't, you're only getting this YouTube segment where that's really good and crafted really well. And once we take out the real world, that's like kind of nitty gritty. That's showing like, oh, I don't have my life together. Oh, I'm actually really anxious about this. I'm really struggling with this. Once you take out that real, genuine conversation, that genuine community, I think you start to like lose what the real world actually is. And think, mm. oh, I'm just behind. That's a lot of pressure. A lot yeah. of pressure on our students. It's kind of it just kind of breaks my heart to think about what kind of world middle school and high schoolers are living in right now, and and how dangerous it can be. You know, you think about just how easy it is to feel like a sense of failure based off of what you guys are saying, and that just leads to downward spiral with depression mm. and. And then it's hard to get out of that because you feel like, well, I'm not even doing what everyone else is doing. And you just kind of stay in that low state. Um, And then you add in the anxiety, sprinkle that in with it. And it just leaves a student feeling hopeless, Mm. you know, and and that's a terrible place to be, especially when you're just that age. Um, But the the good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. Yeah. Um, That's the reality of where we're at. And it's a scary reality when it comes to middle school and high schoolers. But for everyone listening, you know, maybe it's a student that's listening and just thinking, oh, my goodness, this is a sad reality. Or maybe you're a parent and you're, you know, just listening and you're like, this, I get it. I know it. I'm living it. I understand, you know, what it's like for my, my child. So I just want to ask you guys, where do we go from here? Like, I know we said that mental health is becoming more of a concept that's talked about and discussed. Uh, but, but how do we take steps forward? My instant reaction, and I know this is not the popular one, and it's certainly not what the right answer is, but I, I am got to a po- place in, in my own life where I've just started just to put down my phone and just like mm-hmm. leave it and turn it off. And that's certainly not the answer for everybody. But the more I can kind of remove myself from those moments uh, where I'm basically opening myself up to so much self-comparison, then I can really just enjoy being where I'm at in life. Uh, as far as uh, as for a student goes, I think there's part of that, but I think there's going forward, there's just going to be this social expectation of being online, um, and that's just the reality of the world that we're living going forward. So for young people um, and students and parents, that's it's not going anywhere, it's not changing. So we we've got to learn to operate within that reality. Um, so I think the first point there is getting really really comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's just a point we need to be at. What I mean by that, when I say uncomfortable conversations, they don't all have to be uncomfortable. But 
traditionally growing up, like it's not always talked about that it's okay to talk about depression, that it's okay to talk about anxiety. It's okay to be uh, as real as possible with what's going on in your life. Uh, I think the more we get comfortable with just being open and having those conversations um, as adults uh, and leaders with the young people in our area of influence, that that'll just start to make a world of difference for them to know mm-hmm. that we're here, we're available we're listening. And, and like Jack said earlier, now that they're starting to get to this point where they're wanting to be open and talk about that, if they're willing, that shows that they want somebody to listen. Yeah. Um, and so just be as available as we can to that. Yeah. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I would say, and I, 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 have no, I don't know if like I'm an adult or not an adult <laughs> at this point. I'm like 26 years old. So I still feel like sometimes I'm like, I'm talking about me, but then I'm also like, I'm not talking about me. You've like, got I'm, a beard to it counts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like, very, I, I, I have to say a very good beard, very long thank, and thank luscious you. beard. Thank you. Um, I grew it myself. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, I, 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 when I was in college, it wasn't, wasn't super long ago. Um, I dealt with like really bad social anxiety. Like I was just to the point of like the cyclical world where, I just slowly stopped hanging out with people and it just was like any new reaction with the person would just like drive my anxieties through the roof. And I didn't understand why. And I had this like talk self-talk in my head of like, Oh, they don't want to hang out with me. Uh, I'm not like valuable enough. I'm not worth it. I'm not a fun guy. I like don't bring a ton to the party. I'm just like awkward and weird. I don't know what to do with my hands. Like all of these thoughts in my head. And I remember for a long time, it was like this crippling anxiety of like, I just couldn't do anything. And I got to this place where I just I, I wasn't making any friends. I would just only work out, go to class, and I wasn't doing super well in school. And I would come home, and I would study a little bit, and then I would watch some TV, and I'd go to bed. And it was not a very fun life for me. Some people may enjoy that, but for me, I, I, I needed something more. But I was so scared of going out into the real world and meeting people. And I, I just had this coming like kind of coming to Jesus moment where I was like, something needs to change. Like, this is not happiness. This is not living life to the full. This is not the life I want to live. Um, and so my answer is, is therapy, um, mm. which I think is a lot of people's answers. And I, and I get the anxiety behind that of like having to talk about all of these issues with someone, having to like let someone into your life and do all and kind of dig through it and help you process it. But I found it super helpful for me because they were a third party, non-biased opinion who just were honest with me and they had no reason not to be. They had no gain from making me feel bad. They didn't weren't trying to make me feel awful about myself. They were just there to help. Um, and as I kind of went through that process, they challenged a lot of my self-talk, a lot of the things I thought through my head. And, and uh, one story I'll share for an example of yeah. was I would walk to class and I would see people I kind of knew on campus. And I, I think a lot of students experience this where they see people they know in school or they see people they know at like football games or basketball games. And you like are almost anxious, like, oh, does that person know me? Like, we've interacted a couple times. Like, what if he doesn't remember my name? That's going to be super embarrassing. And so I would, I would go literally the longest way possible <laughs> to class to make sure I did not have to cross paths with them. I would like keep my eyes down. I'd have my headphones in. It wasn't even listening to music. I just wanted <laughs> to be as unapproachable as humanly possible. And I was telling my therapist this. And he was like, what do you think is going to happen? And I was like, oh, I think it's going to be really awkward. I think he's not going to remember who I am. I, I think I'm just going to feel embarrassed and feel worse about myself. And he was like, I want you to go into those interactions this week, just a couple of times, and I want you to report back to me what happens. And so I did it, and I did all these interactions, and he was like, how'd it go? And I was like, they, they all remembered who I was. <laughs> and he was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't expect that. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. And he was like, well, what happened after the conversation? And I was like, well, I talked to them, I heard how their day were going, and they said some nice things, and we went about our day. And he was like, this like incredibly scary moment in my head that I was like, I can't meet someone I like had maybe talked to once or twice in class, um, was just like this big deflated moment of like, oh, it's actually not... Is like this big scary thing I made in my head, mm. um, and having someone who is just a third party just kind of express that to me, and be like, "Look, you're making the, the, the self talk you're having in your head is not the reality you're living in." Um, and I think separating those two strains of thoughts of being like, "Okay, this is fear talking, this is anxiety talking, and this is a reality of the situation." And therapy was really helpful in helping me kind of understand where that line is. And now it's like, okay. When I am having those thoughts now, it's like, okay, let me challenge it. Let me see if this yeah. narrative I have in my head is true. And then I go and do it, and I'm like, okay, that wasn't as bad as I made it out in my head. I, I made that a much bigger deal. And I think processing that with someone else really helped shape the reality of the world around me and be like, okay, one, Jack doesn't suck. 
Jackson Bun got to be around. And the more you do stuff like that, the more interactions I got, the more invites I got, the more yeah. things I got to hang out with people, That's cool. the more stuff like that. And it's like, it changed my entire last year of college from the person who hung out with no one to the person that was busy till like one in the morning every night, hanging out with people, having fun, having good interactions. And so to answer your question, I, I think therapy is the get out of jail free card answer, but I think it does make a world of difference. Yeah, because it's a it's a dangerous place to be. It gets very cloudy that in your mind when you're just by yourself processing thoughts. It's hard to know what's what's just fear or anxiety talking. What's reality? Mm-hmm. And so having someone, especially if they're trained to help guide you through that, is a tremendous help. Mm. Um, did you have something to add to that, Cameron? Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I, I think it's huge whenever we have moments where either ourselves or people around us that encourage us to recognize the appropriate moment for uh, the help, help that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, talking about people who are trained professionals mm-hmm. uh, to deal with what what you're going through in your life. Um, being in ministry and being around the church for a large portion of my life, uh, there's always been such an, an encouragement in finding somebody uh, to talk to within the church. Um, but I think oftentimes we can get so caught up in that that we miss the point that sometimes there is an appropriate moment to seek professional help mm-hmm. outside of the church as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's huge. Also, just going on what, what you're saying, uh, I feel like oftentimes whenever I'm having like interactions with people, I find myself on the opposite end of where you were at, and I absolutely hate it. What I mean by that is like if I'm walking uh, towards somebody or someone, I see somebody that I, I think I know or like I, I recognize, I am terrible with names. Mm. <laughs> and like it's just a fact of life for me. And I get so nervous thinking, I really hope they don't talk to me. Because I don't know what their name is right now. Wow. If I would have ran into you the first time, this would have changed my entire <laughs> life. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. That's what I, and that's part of what I think makes me paranoid about that. Because I get in my head like, oh, if, what if I can't remember this person's name? And they're just having like the worst day ever. It's like I do care about them and like what's going on in their life. And I like want to be friends with them. I'm just so bad with names, and I, I don't want them to think that I'm just trying to forget them because I'm, I'm not. Um, so that's that's my experience with that. I'm trying to get better at it. I, yeah. I've, I've got a couple of tricks people have been teaching me to remember names better. Yeah, good thing we went to different colleges. Yeah, yeah no, that would have been a, a, a bad, like, you get told to go do this, and I come up like, hey, buddy, you? friend. Hey, what's up, big guy? How are like, you? I, I like, no, I promise, I know who you are. It's... it's uh, Jack, right? Yeah. And, oh, and now uh, it's funny because now I have this huge red beard. So it's like I'll like watch people be like, oh, I know that person, but I don't know, like, no, know them. I'm just so identifiable. <laughs> like I was at a wedding and one of my friend's parents was like, oh, yeah, go find that kid with the large red beard. And this woman came up and found me. And I was like, someone gave you a red beard identifier, didn't they? And she's like, yeah, they did. <laughs> So I, speaking on that note, I, I love that my like my first couple of weeks here, like at Timberlake, and, and getting to know the kids and the students and the parents. Like my beard was kind of growing out, my hair was a little longer, and then I didn't tell anybody, but I went completely clean shaven and cut my hair really, really short. So that next Wednesday, I saw the students; they were so confused, they had no idea who I was. Um, then you eventually, once I started talking. But yeah, uh, also bringing it back to a point we were talking about earlier of just like, well, like therapy is great. And I think I'm a very big proponent of therapy, but I think one of the biggest things and one of the hardest things post pandemic is having a good community around you yeah. of people to talk these things out. Yeah, with. that's Cause huge. Because I, I think, again, I think we're our own worst enemies a lot of the time, and especially for students who are like trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out what type of person I am. What do I like? What do I enjoy? Who am I going to be as a human being from this point forward? And you're trying to wrap yourself around this. And not to have people you trust around you who are like, no, that's not true. Like that mm. interaction wasn't that bad. Or no, you don't need to feel the pressure of that class of you failing this test. Like everybody did really poorly. I think right now we don't have that. Like a lot of students don't have that community. And so this self-talk is just getting louder and louder and louder. And I think that's why we're seeing an increase in anxiety and depression because we don't have that community that's willing to call us out. And I think for me, I had like pushed that community away because I didn't trust them. And then one of my therapists was like, no, you need you need these people around you. You need to go have these interactions. Once I pulled these people in and had like an inner circle, I was like, oh, man, my ability to self-regulate was way easier mm. uh, because I had a community around me who was willing to tell me the truth. And it's really important to identify, like we talked about earlier, community of 
of deeper relationships, mm-hmm. not just the community of that we may think of surface level, yeah. but people that really can challenge us and help us think through things. So yeah, that's super important. Yeah. I'm, I'm super thankful. Um, really just in this season of life, I have such a great group of friends where even though we don't live in the same places at all, and, and oftentimes we don't even communicate, um, every week even, but it's just a core group of people that I've just really connected with over the past few years and grown closer together with that no matter what's going on, if something like they start to notice something is off or anything, I'll get that encouraging text message or that encouraging phone call. Or maybe for them, like they're saying like, hey, like you seem like you're kind of in a bad mood today. Stop it. Things are great for you. Right? Or like not, not even that, but like they're just always that friend who, who's just there to encourage you. Yeah. So all those things are so important. I think launching pads to see improvement in this area. What about when it comes to what are ways that a student can, can grow in this area when it comes to just Jesus and their walk with God? What are some things that a student could do to really help kind of see some healing and maturity in this area? I think number one is understanding uh, the great, I think what I think is probably one of the greatest gifts from God that we have, which is prayer. Um, And understanding what it truly is, that is uh, not just us talking to be heard, but we get to have like a genuine conversation um, with what's crazy to think about when you put it in this context, the God of the whole universe and created every single thing around us also cared about you enough uniquely as an individual to where he knows every single hair on your head, knows what you're going through, lived a life as a human, and, and knows where you're at mm-hmm. uh, and cares for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we have as this gift if that we're able uh, to have that conversation and let him know like what we're going through. Um, and he's there and he listens to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that's huge. And then conversely, I think the other side is um, to make sure we're listening. And I think a big part of that listening to what God is saying to us in our life um, is staying in his word. Mm. Because I, I think that's one of the most prominent ways that we'll ever hear from him. Yeah, mm. I, I'd agree with that. Um, I would go to another place, though, that I think is also very important. Not to say yours wasn't. I said that, and I was like, wow, it feels like I'm really saying, that was a terrible answer, Cameron. Why don't I tell you what the right answer is? Um, no, I would say uh, on top of that great immac- immaculate answer um, would be the the concept of grace. And I think it, uh, mm-hmm. kind of wielding it in two ways. Of one, understanding it for yourself and understanding how to give it to others. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think for me, the con- I, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. So like the concept of grace is one of the most foreign things to me when I first started following Jesus. It was like I did something wrong and he's just going to forgive me and be okay with that. And like that's cool and he just gives me grace. I was like that doesn't make sense. Like I feel like I deserve punishment. I feel like I deserve all of these things. And so the concept of grace was like really – really changed my perspective on the world of like, how do I deal with my own self failure? How do I deal with when I don't meet my own standards? Because I think, I, I think we're the most critical people of ourselves and I think we have the highest standard for ourselves. And so the concept of grace was like, Oh, I messed up. That's okay. God still loves me. He's going to keep pushing me forward. This is a formative time and I can let this go. I don't mm-hmm. need to like hold on to this. I don't need to harbor this issue. I don't need to harbor the self-doubt. I don't need to harbor all of these feelings that we often have inside of us because life is a constant battle of becoming more Christ-like, a constant battle of becoming more sanctified mm-hmm. um, and knowing like I'm not perfect is okay and that Jesus still loves me in that and he just wants me to take baby steps forward each day. Um, I think that's that was just like monumental in my shift um, and I think even just reading scripture consistently, you realize everyone in the Bible is dumb. Like I would say most of them made so many mistakes. Even the cool guys like David and stuff, they do super dumb things all the time. And I think once you realize that and you're like, oh, they made way worse mistakes than me failing my math test or me like not being nice to my little brother or sister or whatever it might be. You're like, oh man, Jesus forgave those. And that was really, yeah. yeah. And I think for me, that was like, that was monumental for me. It was like, okay, whoo, let let the pressure off my shoulders. But then going the step further of like, how do I give grace to others? And I think this is probably one of the hardest things as a parent because you want what's best for your child. You want them to do, be incredible people. 
Um, but you also want to be able to be like, no, it's okay that you failed. I think mm. failure's fine. I think as long as we learn and grow from this, that's all that matters. Like, let's make this a teaching moment, not a you failed moment. Yeah, it's like um, how do you draw that line between like, mm. like it's it's okay to learn from your mistakes, but like, hey, also don't do dumb things. Yeah, like, and I and I'm not a parent, so I like don't want to like be like, oh, this is the line. This is exactly. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I was a youth pastor. I got to do like a lot of the fun side of it of like, oh yeah, this is what I think your parent was trying to say. I got to kind of navigate that on the other side because I think kids hear a lot of what they want to hear from parents, and sometimes parents. I've seen parents say incredible things to their kids and their this kid walks away and he's like, did you just hear my dad yell at me? And I was like, no, no, I did not. I was like, what did you hear? But that that's what they heard. That's what they feel. And so getting to navigate through that and be like, no, I think they were trying to be like, okay, look, this is okay. This is hard. Let's work through it in this manner. And so the ability to give someone else grace, I think is just huge for developmental. Mm. I think just the way we process things. And I think, therefore, once you give them grace, they're willing to give other people grace. I think it's a real huge domino effect of yeah. how we interact with the rest of the world. You know, we, we talked about that this past week, mm-hmm. um, these past, past past two weeks with students. Um, actually, here at the church, we've been going through uh, this series called Bittersweet, where we really look at what does forgiveness look at in our life, uh, not just how we uh, look at how Christ forgave us and how we live that out in, in our life, uh, but we talked specifically about what a how much more of a benefit it is for us than for other people when we forgive them. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. talking about how much bitterness and anger and sadness that we hold on to. Mm. And probably half the time that other person has no idea that you're still upset at them or they've mm-hmm. moved on and, and you're just holding on to all of that, whatever it is, sadness, bitterness in mm-hmm. your life. Uh, and whenever you can get to that point where you can kind of just forgive that mm-hmm. um, and, and let that go, it just it frees you up to start to heal. And I think the the big thing with that, especially with students in the next generation, I think their scope is, like, very limited. They've only experienced so much of life. They, like, don't see what, like, the big, like, like, I think in my head, I remember I, like, I used to play golf a lot, and I did really bad at one match. And I was like, this is the end of it. (laughs) This game over. Like, I'm never going to become a professional golfer now. Like, everything's done. And I think, like, a lot of kids have that thought process of, like, this scope is so small. And so, like, while we may see it as, like, not huge things – in their heart and eyes and mind, these are detrimental things. So I think if we're not giving them grace for it, they are just going to weigh themselves down with these because their scope is just so limited. And that's not to like like downplay how smart or intelligent kids are. They just haven't – I think the more life you live, the more you're able to see. Like I do not have the same experience you have, Jared, because you've had kids. You've lived more mm-hmm. life than I have. I will not understand those things until I get to them. You can help me try to grasp them, but like I won't know it till I kind of get there. And I think ser- similarly with kids, we often are like – what do you mean? Why do? Why are you being so hard on yourself? Like, why are you like weighing yourself down with these minor things? And it's like, okay, well, explaining it like that—that's not like releasing them from what they're dealing with. Mm. But like in our heads, it's like this is a minor thing. But in their heads, it's everything. Wow, that's really insightful. Um, how do you think supporters? You know, people that le- that's maybe not um, a parent, but just people that are like supporting, wh- whether that's a family member or just a friend or something like that. Like, what kind of support can support or bring along? I think first and foremost is realize that whether you have uh, children uh, or you are like a teacher or a pastor uh, and have students in some way or a small group leader, or if you're just around young people that are in your sphere of influences, there is somebody in your life who is a young person who is looking to you. Mm. Um, And first and foremost, I think the more that we're able to model the joy of Christ in our own life, Mm. uh, and they see that lived out, I think one, uh, they're able to kind of understand it more because they're seeing it firsthand. Uh, But two, maybe if they, they see that, hey, this person is living this out, then they feel comfortable coming to you with those things and maybe asking some big questions. Do mm. mm. you have anything to add to that, Jack? Yeah. I would say one of the biggest things, being okay with failing. Um, I think often parents are like, I have to get this perfectly right. I think supporters are like, oh, I have to say the right thing. It's okay if you say the wrong thing, as long as you own it. I think as long as you come back and are consistent and you're like, look, I'm sorry, that was not the best way I could have handled that. This is what I was really trying to say, and I think I got caught up in the moment and was trying to, like, be a parent and navigate all of these hurdles that you're trying to navigate of, like, I'm trying to hold, like, the higher ground of, like, I'm above them in this way and, like, trying to, like, bestow all of your knowledge and try and do all of these things. But I think often we, like, 
think so much of like, oh, I need to say the exact right thing. And it's like, no, like, it's okay. You're going to mess up. Everybody messes up. Own it with your kid and be like, look, I could have handled that better. I could have done this better. And I think from what I've seen, I think kids respond to that really, really well of like the ability to admit I also am not perfect and I'm trying my best to teach you the things I've learned from my own mistakes. Mm. I feel like in student ministry, oftentimes, like we can put ourselves in those positions a lot. Every often. day. Like, just kind of own those things like, hey, that maybe it wasn't the best idea for us to have a bonfire in the middle of July. Like that was probably a bad choice. Or like, hey, this like jumbo marshmallow war that we had in the sanctuary of the church. Like we didn't do that, by the way. I'm just <laughs> don't want to get myself in trouble. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical for that one. Um yeah, or like you're like trying to get things ready for youth and you have students come early and they're like trying to talk to you and you're just like kind of short with them and like, no, no, like, I don't know. I don't care. Just like leave me alone or yeah. things like that. I, I happen to me all the time and I'd have to always follow back up and be like, hey, I, I'm sorry. You are important and your opinion is valid and I want to know what's going on with you. I was in the middle of something and I should have explained that and been like, hey, I would love to have this conversation later. I just need to finish this right now. Um, and then we can circle back to it. But like the amount of times I just shrugged a student off, I was like, oh yeah, I'll just give you a pointless task to get you out of my hair for a minute. And I, I think we're all guilty of that at a certain point of like, okay, just get out of here for a second. I just need to figure this out. But it's like, how can we verbally express that in a way that's beneficial to them and not making them feel devalued? Mm-hmm. Just, to, just to share a moment of a, to break the tension of a little story of a time where someone had to take ownership of a situation. This wasn't me, and I'm not sharing who this was. You guys would not have no idea who this is, and if you're listening, I'm you won't know either. But it's Cameron. It's not me. This, <laughs> I if this was me, I would claim this because I think it's awesome. But it wasn't me. Uh, but it, there was a, a student uh, student ministry uh, activity that a certain person um, that I know put on, where it was a nacho cheese wrestling contest. Oh, it's the parking goodness. lot story. Yeah, it is the parking lot story. Oh, so basically story. ordered a bunch of nacho cheese off of like, um, I don't even know where you would order it from. I'm going to say Amazon because that sounds not right. Um, and, and put it all in an inflatable pool uh-huh. and basically had all their high school guys that we were, they were, they were gonna basically going to be having a nacho cheese wrestling contest. Sounds hilarious, but what they didn't think is they didn't put a tarp down over the parking lot where they were doing something now first off why you would have a uh, like a blow up pool on asphalt this already sounds like a bad idea but um <laughs> or the nacho cheese i feel like also maybe we should i can't overlook that um <laughs> but nacho cheese got onto the parking lot and it stained part of the parking lot and they couldn't get like the cheese up off the parking lot once oh. it dried and so for the next couple of weeks in this church parking lot this nacho cheese was just rotting out in the sun it was in the middle of the summer so it smelled terrible um and so that's, a, I don't know where I was going to connect that, but <laughs> take that as a lesson. Take ownership for your mistakes. <laughs> Sorry, Jay, I probably got you way off track on that one. No, that's good. <laughs> we need that kind of story. Uh, that's, that's a, I haven't ever thought about doing that. That's great. Maybe I, us three can just <laughs> do a nacho cheese. I will, I will be busy. That, <laughs> that would just make, I'd have to shave my beard. Like there's no way my beard would come out of that. I will 100% be busy that day. I don't know when it is, but I, I would like to say you were pretty pro nacho cheese wrestling at the beginning of the story. Yeah. Your issue was the parking lot. I don't know. I don't know why you're out of it now. I played the fifth. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any other encouragement you would have for students uh, just during this time, especially coming out of COVID? I think honestly, like just saying, I'm sorry. Like I know life's hard. Like I can't imagine going through COVID and my formative years. Like middle school was already so hard um, to go through it and then not be in school for a couple years and like have probably anxieties with just like large groups of people just for a health standpoint, let alone like a, like a, a mental and like interacting with people. I, it's just so hard. Um, and I want them to know, like, it's okay that you're struggling. It would be weird if you weren't. Um, yeah. I think that's like the biggest thing. Like if you're, if you're sitting there and like, I'm alone, I'm struggling. Like you're not alone. Like there's so many people who are also dealing with this and like, Talk to a friend, talk to a loved one, talk to someone you trust. Um, I think would probably be my biggest thing. Mm. I would say um, it, it's very easy uh, if you are somebody to really feel isolated. Um, I, as a student, as a young person, 
with maybe like your likes, your interests, or your hobbies, or the things you enjoy. Say, hey, maybe I'm not going to share these things. That's kind of weird, or or all that kind of stuff. But I'll just encourage you, just kind of like be yourself in that aspect. The more you kind of talk about maybe the things you enjoy, whether it's like watching a certain show or like a certain sport or a certain hobby or a certain kind of music, the more people you'll kind of find mm-hmm. um, that are uh, kind of more in, in that same area than you would imagine. Uh, but also, I just think understanding the reality that you have some students now where uh, who you look at middle school, and oftentimes middle school is this really this time of where you're kind of learning what it means to be like social and communicating with people in a healthy way before you come into high school. Maybe not. Maybe you were like me and you come in as a freshman in high school and you were still as socially awkward as you could possibly be. <laughs> um, but this time that's so like crucial for developing that when you go into your high school years, there are students who are coming into high school now for the first time back in person who their entire middle school life or majority of it has been entirely online mm. through Zoom calls. Um, and so while some of those interactions may be weird, you may not be experienced to that yet because for you in your life, you have this huge section of your life that has been completely online and digital and locked down. And you're really, for the first time in your life now, starting to experience these social interactions with your peers. Uh, embrace those weird, awkward moments because everyone's going through them right now. Um, and, and just be comfortable with being uncomfortable. As strange as that sounds, it, it's a, a good place to try to strive mm. to be, I think. Mm. That's really good insight, guys. Um, I really believe that uh, we are headed in the right direction when it comes to this. And these are some things that students can keep in mind and apply to their life, things that parents and supporters can be mindful of. You guys have really great insight on that. And so just want to say thank you so much for being a part of this conversation here today. Uh, Jack, Cameron, you guys are awesome and hilarious and have great insight. So thanks so much for for being here and, and being a part of this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah this, is really, my, this is my first ever podcast. I was really, I felt honored to be asked. Yeah. You did a great job. I would have thought this was number 2000. Oh, wow. That, that means a lot to me, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for taking a listen. Uh, really hope that this is something that uh, brought value to your life. Uh, looking at uh, trying to get in some consistency with uh, having some interviews like this. So, I have some already planned, so hopefully we'll be able to keep these going and keep the discussion going. Thanks for being a part of this community. Uh, I will see you next time. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and share with others so they can join us on this journey. I'll see you next time.